Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. This episode of Tourpreneur is sponsored by Ventrata. Ventrata is a proven and versatile booking platform built for high-volume tours and attractions. With contactless booking, payment, and check-in solutions, they can get your business back up and running quickly while keeping your staff and customers safe. For more, go to ventrata.com. Hello and welcome to Tourpreneur. I'm your host, Shane Whaley. Regular listeners will notice that there is no jingle or intro today, and that's because I'm excited to bring you a brand new monthly series of Tourpreneur that we are calling the Travel Industry Mavericks. Unfiltered, unabashed, non-sugar-coated roundtable discussions with two industry veteran hosts and a guest of their choice. The last few months, I've been talking to many of you about what you like listening to on Torpreneur, what don't you like hearing on Torpreneur, and what do you want to hear more of? Many of you said you love the How I Built This style interviews, With tour operators, you've also enjoyed hearing the COVID-19 survival strategies, how operators are coping around the world. You also enjoy it when we bring on different experts, and we're going to be doing a lot more of that in 2021. One thing you said was missing was roundtable discussions, but not just any old roundtable discussions. You felt that many of the roundtable discussions that you've seen on other platforms can be a little bit, um, well, no, people are just afraid to rock the boat and they can be a little bit echo chambery. And we want to try and create something here on Torpreneur where we have picked two hosts who certainly don't mind rocking the boat, certainly don't agree with each other constantly, and have huge network within the industry of people they can bring on and have interesting conversations. And our goal is, yes, it's fun to be unfiltered and unabashed, but what we really want to do is give you something to walk away from when you've listened or watched an episode, something to think about, something different, maybe another perspective, and hopefully something that will help you grow your business. Let me introduce you to our travel industry mavericks. They are Peter Syme and Christian Watts. Peter Syme is the managing director of Thousand Mile Journeys. He has lived and operated in many countries and actually visited in excess of 120 of those, which is incredible. He is obsessed with adventure travel and the benefits it brings to people. And he splits his time between being the owner-operator of several small niche adventure travel companies and helping startups. And I know for a fact that many of us spoke with Peter during the dark days of the pandemic, and he gave a lot of advice on what we need to do to survive during these lean times. So I just want to say thank you to Peter for that. And also many of you that have seen Peter speak at conferences know that he doesn't hold back. 
Joining him is Christian Watts. Christian is the founder of Magpie Travel, but he's best known in the industry as the founder and CEO of City Sightseeing San Francisco. He started the business back in the late 90s and the company's fleet, he grew that to 25 open-top double-decker buses carrying over 200,000 passengers annually. He comes from the north of England. He um, graduated from the University of Leeds Economics and he lives in the Bay Area. He was one of the early adopters and proponents of web-based distribution strategies. So that's our guests. And as I say, we want to try and do something a little bit different with the show. We would love you to send in your suggestions for topics, for guests, areas you want us to discuss. And there's no taboos here, right? So for instance, in this conversation you're going to hear now, I brought up that I was a little bit embarrassed that some of you already already sent me in lists of guests you want to hear on the travel industry Mavericks. And I was just really kind of surprised how few women were on that list. And not because Torpreneur is about ticking boxes here for diversity. I was just generally shocked because I've worked with some amazingly talented women in this industry. And that's something that you know we we can discuss on future episodes. On this one, as our intro episode, we actually talk about the uh, big news, which was the $200 million investment in Kluke. Uh, we talk a little bit about the challenges for the major OTAs uh, as we are in pandemic and what's next for them. And Christian and Peter talk a little bit about the kinds of guests that they want to interview and talk. Well, I say interview, more to have a conversation with on travel industry mavericks. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to Christian and to Peter and uh, go easy with us. This is the first one. We're all finding our feet here and please do send in your feedback of topics you want to hear us tackle. This is the Travel Industry Mavericks. And welcome to the first ever episode of the Travel Industry Mavericks. This is a brand new feature, a brand new format. Very excited about this. Today, I am joined by our travel industry mavericks. They don't even need an, an introduction. They're, they're so uh, mavericky. It's uh, Christian Watts and Peter Syme. Welcome to uh, your new show. Hi, Shane. Hope you're well. I'm uh, excited to get into some topics here with you. So this whole idea of travel mavericks came about, or travel industry mavericks came about, because the traditional episodes of Torpreneur are very much the how I built this kind of, you know, the story of how tour operators got going, started, grew, failed, fought back again, etc. And when I was talking to some of our listeners, they were like, yeah, we love the how I built this, but we wish there was a roundtable where, first of all, you talk about data, trends, insight what's happening in the markets and please could you invite hosts on that are not afraid to uh uh you know uh rock the boat and you two came to mind right away <laughs> i just want to start and ask uh, this is an important question is mavericky a word i just made it up all right i think it's a okay. good one so we can, take, we can take the lead from you from that then and make stuff up as we go along. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I've been doing for almost 200 episodes. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> so big issues that we want to talk about in the future. Obviously, uh, we just had the news this week about Clute getting a $200 billion investment in the middle of this pandemic. Christian, how did you read that? 
Yeah, you know, the, I think the rumor started right after they raised last time that they were out raising again. So I don't, I don't think anyone was too surprised, and they haven't done anything since the since the lockdowns. It's a huge number, isn't it? And if this had happened two years ago, this would have been the biggest investment in this sector. But these days, two hundred million just seems like oh yeah, and that somebody's got a little little um, bridge loan to get them through the next year. Yeah, you know, they were spending a ton of money. When you raise 500 million, you're supposed to spend it. And that was a couple of years now. So I'm sure they were getting through or got through a lot of that. And then with the last year's results, I'm sure they had to go back out to the market. The, the interesting piece is they, that on, on a couple of the articles, as they mentioned, the focus on Asia, which I've heard as well that they're really going to focus on Asia. This sort of pull back from North America and, and Europe. And then they mentioned the super app, which is... I'm not sure if that's just the easiest way to get funding or if that's a future direction for them. It's interesting to see if that's where they start to push. Peter, what was your reading of it? Yeah, again, big number, middle of what we're in, 200 million quid, but it's looking from the outside in, I thought it was exactly the, the right move. Obviously, we have no insight into their actual numbers in the business, but the whole industry is weak. So you're looking for a strategic advantage as you come out because travel's coming back and tours are coming back. All of this is coming back and it will boom when it comes back. And we can argue to the cows come home when that is, but it's coming back. So they're positioning their business to capture as much of that rebound as possible. And they've got already a big organization. I think they have 1,500 people spread across multiple countries. So I thought it was a clever move. I look at Kluke slightly different from... Some of the other OTAs, I actually think they're quite a bit ahead of some of them because they started later, but I think that was an advantage starting later because they learn from some of the other ones like Viator, Get Your Guide. They learn what they did well. They learn what they did wrong. They also start in another part of the world, Asia, where the buying behavior of the customer is different and the buying experience of the customer is different. And they're attuned to that much, much more than any Western OTA. And I think they can get growth levels that Western OTAs are probably only going to have to dream of. And for those of us who are not familiar with Asian markets, in which way is that booking experience different? Everything's on social, everything's on apps. A lot of it is recommending based. If you're working with in Asia, a lot of it is, like we say, it's word of mouth. But this is word of mouth on speed. And it can go into, if you go into WeChat and what goes around, there can be zero marketing out there, but suddenly you've got thousands of customers because people trust word of mouth much higher than they trust corporate websites or big fancy websites. And once that trust is built up in a network and it starts to expand, they're so app-driven, uh, Christian mentioned apps, they will drop these apps onto their phone and they will keep them on their phone. Whereas we drop apps onto our phone, we use them once or twice and then we delete them again. And we don't drop that many on in the first place. Whereas they're so app-driven, and we all know the cost of acquisition of customers, once you've got somebody on an app and it's using it, they're getting that business direct after the initial cost of acquiring. Whereas kind of other OTAs are consistently going out there trying to reacquire, paying Google ridiculous amounts of money. I think the other difference is, is price, right? They're, they're, they're very, very price-focused. I think that's largely a part of being based in Asia and the Asian market, which is very price-driven. It's definitely not popular amongst any of their competitors. It'd be interesting to see where that goes. And there's a lot, of, a lot of products are sold from below cost. 
uh, below their cost just to grab market share, which obviously ruffles feathers as well. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that is a factor going forwards. Uh, you know, I also wonder if that's a factor for them breaking into the to the West, which they haven't done as much as I would expected because they're so focused on price in Asia. It's different in, in the West, I think. They're also willing to retail products that Western OTAs just won't retail. They'll retail a product for five dollars, three dollars, four. They don't care what the, the price of the product is because it's all about acquiring customers. And it's that growth menu site. If we can get the customer into your ecosystem, getting them using the app, whether it's a transport service for two dollars, or whether they go into food, I don't even know if they're in food jet and service. It's just about getting the people into the ecosystem in any way and any cost, really. Because if they take the long-term view, they're going to make that money back over the X number of years of that customer acquisition. It's the opposite to our mentality. I remember at university learning about stick to your knitting, so focus on what you do, which is still, I don't know why you're squinting your eyes, Shane. That was a couple of years ago. But um, I'm just amazed what they teach at economics degrees, stitch your knitting. It's all about knitting, yeah. No, but it, I think that's drilled into us about focusing on what, on what you do. That's not the case at all in Asia. It's all about the super app, which is not at all about focus. It's just, as Peter said, it's get as broad as you can, sell whatever you need to sell to get people onto the app, which is part of the reason, you know, based on some of those reports, if they think they're the next super app, then they're not going to focus on the West because I don't think there's appetite for a super app in the West, unless Google, Apple, or, or Amazon make one. I don't think you can come in and, and start your own super app. It was, if you think of the customer journey, you're in a destination, doesn't matter wherever it is, you're in a city anyway, anywhere in the world, you wake up at breakfast time and you go to bed at whatever time at night. For you, Christian, it'll be about half past eight, nine o'clock, I would think, but for the rest of us young people, it'll be after midnight. But if you're, uh, what do you do during that day? You may only purchase a travel product once during that day, but I can guarantee you purchase multiple other things during that day. And be that food, be it coffees from coffee shops, be it jumping on a tuk-tuk or a taxi. And there's multiple points of spend during that day. And if you've got a retail mindset, which reading from the outside in again, that I think these guys have, they just have a mass retail mindset. They don't care what they're retailing. They just want to retail as much as what someone buys during a day in a destination. It's, that's the biggest problem in, in travel, isn't it? Building building a brand around the fact that people are only buying your product once or twice a year. Even even Expedia and Booking have that problem. They yeah. don't have as much data as a Google because people are only shopping there a few times a year. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest problems in, in the industry, I think. Obviously, it's all theory, but if you think that through and somebody buys a two or once or twice a year and that's being optimistic, but they liked it so much and they keep the app there and then you use that app for your transport app all the time, it changes the dynamics yeah. of that, that scale business quite considerably. Which is why I think the, the future of this industry, we, we've got these big OTAs that everybody speaks about today. And I think we probably, we don't agree on very much, Peter, but we probably agree on the, on the future being Google, Amazon, Airbnb, maybe an Uber. They're probably the closest thing to a super app that we have. Yeah, like you say, in the West, people will have to tell me if if the West is a PC term. I refer to when I say to the West, I mean North America and Europe, generally. But those are the sort of closest thing we have to super apps, and I think those are the biggest disruptors of the industry if they can make a move yeah. into this space. Mm -hmm. Not the frequency already with them; people are already shopping 
less so on Airbnb, but people are doing Uber every day and obviously Googling multiple times a day and Amazon the same. The other thing I see with Cook, which is different, and I might be wrong with this. Uh, I'm sure they'll be able to write in and tell Shane if we are wrong. But I, I see a, this laser-like focus on retail and they don't really care what the retailing as long as it's an in-destination service, but less of a focus on product. Whereas if we then come back into North America and uh, Europe, we're seeing OTAs moving away from having mass product into curating product, sort of going full circle back to where we were years ago. So there's more curation going on in the, be it get your guy with their originals or be it Viator can come in with standards for all the products. So there's much more curation going on to get quality product, whereas Kluke is like, if it gets sold in destination, we want it on our platform. The other part they mentioned, and I think it was the skift again, was the tools. I think they mentioned uh, toolkits for suppliers converting traffic from social or from other channels, expecting people to, to send their own social traffic onto kluke.com or kluke app for people to purchase, which it's vertical integration, which I think is it's a tough one. The fact that they, they want to sell tools as well, which competes with all the res techs, and they want to vertically integrate and, and try and get your social traffic onto their site. It, it is this mentality of we can own this whole space from front to back. Whereas I, I talked to some res techs who tried to play in the B2C world. And my thinking is if you make everyone your enemy, you're going to struggle to get market share. They don't seem to have that. They, they seem to just go for it. There's also the thing with, with Asia that and Africa, to be honest, and I've come, up, I've come across this myself when I was a bit younger and a bit more naive than I am now. And you can have the best technology in the world and the best uh, sales pitch in the world, but some of the operators just won't adopt the technology, particularly in Asia, if it comes at a cost. And when it comes down to it is because the cost of your new technology looks like it's a pure cost to them, and their cost of labor in many destinations is so low that they don't care they're running stuff off spreadsheets or running off a notebook because they can, they can for the cost of the technology, they can have another five staff. And that makes it really difficult. So one of the strategies Kluke's probably done is probably realized that that is a barrier. Therefore, let's just give them the technology, just give it away for free so it's an upfront cost, but that hooks them into our environment and gives them the, the verticalization that they're looking for. Yeah, I've heard that as well. I've heard the, the, the term human API, and I asked somebody what it, what it meant, and they said, well, we don't need actual APIs because we have humans that are actually quite cheap to, to employ in certain countries, and they do the job just fine. But it's a barrier if you're it wanting is. to sell tech or kind of get a return on the tech, but it, it's also an opportunity for somebody like Cluke who can raise that sort of money and can come up with their whole suite so you get someone into their ecosystem, it will be exceedingly difficult to get that operator out of that ecosystem going forward. So you end up with Kluke focusing on Asia. From the ones I speak to as well, I think I think the natural path, at least this year, is for everyone to focus on their core, right? So I've, I've spoken to some of the OTAs, and they all seem to be focusing on their core because they haven't got the people to manage the world anymore. Let me ask you this. You talk about core, so forget your guide. What's their core? I'd still say Europe. I mean, obviously, they're huge in North America as well, but I'd still say Europe. So I, I would expect them this year to focus on Europe and North America and, and less move into Asia, I think, would be sensible for them. And how do you read uh, Viator? 
op- opposite of get you guys so strong in North America, a little bit less so in Europe, a little less so. It's still huge, right? I mean, Vital is huge everywhere. But I, I mean, Vital is definitely going to have far less emphasis on Asia. That's, that's without a doubt. They haven't got many staff there anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost like everyone goes back to their corner. Yeah. Some, some things never change. I mean, that's not our industry. That's not the travel industry. When chaos reigns, when disruption reigns, when bad crap reigns, businesses always look after the core of the business. And that's business 101. You have to look after your core, all your projects, all your subsidiary businesses. You can sacrifice anything, but you can't sacrifice your core because that's where you built the business. So sometimes when you get a kicking, you have to move back, take the kicking, and start rebuilding again. And where do you rebuild from? You rebuild from your core. There was a, a lot of layoffs for Kluk in Europe. I'm not sure about the US. My sense is you're right. They've kind of pulled back their forces to Asia. Get your guide also slimmed down their US team. So I think you're right in terms of the, the OTAs focusing on their cause. And I do wonder with this $200 million injection of cash that Kluke are getting, where are they going to spend that money? Peter, do you think they're going to sit on it, a rainy day fund, or are they going to invest in tech? What do you think they were going to do with that money? Well, they won't be allowed to sit on it because I'm sure whatever amount, total amount they've been given now by various investors, the investors are going to have a say on what's what's happening with that money. And, and investors don't deploy money for people just to sit on it. Having said that, obviously, strategically, it's in their interest to split the cash up and make sure they do have a rainy day fund. I'm, I'm pretty sure the money they raised before hadn't been all spent. So they did have a again, good funds there that probably allowed them to weather this storm better than many other companies. So that will certainly be split. But I think the one they'll double down on the core, which is Asia, because there is still huge growth to be had in Asia, again, off-the-scale growth in Asia, both in numbers and in value. I think they'll double down that they've often reported on their own tech and given operators that they want to work with tech suites. I think they won't necessarily be as aggressive into Europe and North America until they have their unit economics or work. At the end of the day, we're all sitting making predictions of what's going to happen in the future. None of us actually know what's going to happen in the future. Again, we've all been shocked, stunned, and amazed at what's happened now. And we all just sort of want to get back to what is normal. But we may not get back to what's normal. We just don't know. So they will be looking to capture strategic growth based on their core business and capture more of that and more of the value of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they can. When you take all that cash, the people behind them want an exit at some point. And the bit that confuses me with a lot of this is, is where are these guys getting the exit eventually at the values they're now valued at? Christian, do you think Google are rubbing their hands seeing that Kluke have got $200 million to spend? Yeah, I mean, somebody pointed out somewhere that they don't spend as much on Google as somebody else would because they're based in Asia. So I think Google rub their hands at every investment that ever, that ever happens. I mean, they always get a chunk of that, don't they? I think Peter's right in that when you're raising that sort of money, it's to spend. It's not to sit in the bank. But I think it is different now as well. You know, people have already put 500, more than 500 million into them. You've got to keep them alive as well. So I think the investors are now looking at that saying, here's a couple hundred million. Don't spend it all at once. This might go on longer than we would like. I also, if you're, if you're a betting person, I don't know if you bet on Asia. For this year, it's it's not looking like the best place for a strong recovery. So where is? 
I'm optimistic. You know, North USA, we're, we're in the worst spot we've ever been in as far as numbers, right? But I'm actually more optimistic about the States than I'm about anywhere else. Just because of vaccine numbers, I think the UK is looking okay, but US has got such a massive domestic market. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're finally starting to get through the vaccines now, and if we can keep this pace up, I think the summer's going to be really good. Are you looking to upgrade to a booking platform that will allow you to increase sales, distribute your product more efficiently, and reduce operating costs? Then you need to speak to Ventrata. Ventrata is a proven and versatile booking platform built for high-volume tours and attractions and is trusted by Big Bus Tours, Historic Tours of America, RATP Group, City Sightseeing, and many more to power all their sales channels globally. They have a comprehensive platform that will allow you to manage and view live sales information from multiple channels in a single dashboard. Right now, Ventrata are offering a special pandemic recovery setup and payment plan to any business that books a demo before the 19th of March. For more, go to ventrata.com forward slash tourpreneur. So one of the things when I look at Kluk that I think they have done well is staycations. You know, I share a lot of stories in the brief about what they did in Singapore, getting locals to book locals. I also feel that's a code that's very difficult for OTAs to crack. And if we're talking about domestic bookings for the vast majority of this year, do you see any of the OTAs being able to compete in that market? My experience of them is they don't do well when it's localized. Obviously, they've had 12 months now. So I'm sure they've put a lot of effort into trying capturing local bookings by changing can changing the story, changing the market and changing the target and et cetera. But it's only my experience on this. They do not do well driving local people to book an experience that's 15 miles up the road from them. Why would someone book via an OTA? Because the chances are if they're local, they know or have heard, they may have not been to that experience before, but they've heard of it or someone in their network's heard of it. So it's, it's a quick Google if they need to do it or it's a quick Facebook or whatever it is, and they just book direct. I, I mean, I'm not a big user of the OTAs, as you know, but I do use them. And the amount of local bookings they drive, it's one hand stuff. It yeah. really is one hand stuff. They just and that any operator who's using them, certainly the way I use them, we're using them to bring international clients to us, the people we cannot reach, the people we can't convert. And I can convert locals all day long, but I can't convert Germans or Americans that easy. Therefore, that's why we use them. So they're not great at it, the scale they need to be for them to keep their coffers full. Yeah, they're not great at it because they never had to be great at it because the the lowest hanging fruit were these foreigners coming in that you can pick up on Google. I'm surprised none of them have done better in the last, whatever we, 10 months now. TripAdvisor should be really strong and local. And for me, it's the biggest gap that's still open today. Maybe they can create a proper local OTA. Maybe they just made the decision, (laughs) many of us did, or they just thought. We're going to be open for 2021 for international. Therefore, it was like, how much do we invest in local if we're only chasing it for one season? Whereas now we've yeah. found out it's actually not one season. It's it's a full year and a half. So maybe they just didn't put enough effort into getting it. I mean, they've got the resources, so there's no reason that they couldn't in- increase their local presence dramatically because they have got the resources and the knowledge. But that gets back to the customer. How local is that customer? 
because if it's a very local customer, it's different if somebody's going from New York to San Francisco, taking an internal flight across. If they're a, a regular Expedia user, a regular, regular Viator user, they're going to use it again. But if it's real local, someone within the business's radius, they're not going to use an OTA. I disagree that they won't. I disagree, that, and, I, and I'd say they will if they have the right products. But the products on the OTAs are the wax museums and the, the bus tours and that kind of thing. For a local, you need a different set of products. And I think the OTAs have tried that. I know, I mean, Vitor's tried to go long, long, long tail. They still are to some extent. But I think on that side, it's a supplier problem. Because once you get to that long tail, you get very non-savvy suppliers who won't manage an extra net, who don't understand commission, who don't understand how to work with through a, through a third party. They're a real pain to manage, and they're not generally massive volume. So I would argue they would have gone down that road if the suppliers were ready for them, but it's difficult. The other side to that is you have smaller operators, let's say a pizza tour in New York that signed up to Get Your Guide and don't get any business through Get Your Guide. And they have to conform to cutoffs, you know, four-hour cutoffs, all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, it's just not worth my time being on the platform. Whereas now they are the kind of tours that probably would do well. But they may well have lost a lot of those suppliers because they just wouldn't get in the business. And very often when I hear criticisms about OTAs from the smaller operators, like, yeah, we listed with them and we didn't get the business because the VAT, now bearing in mind, you know, it was 2018 when I last went to get your guy, this may well have changed. But the vast majority of people booking New York were booking Statue of Liberty tour, One World Observatory, Empire State Building. They weren't booking the pizza tours. That's it. It's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to sell the Eiffel Tower when people are arriving there 60 million a year or whatever it is. So why why talk to the pizza tour person when yeah. you can sell Eiffel Towers all day? And then they can't pivot quick enough. And that, the other thing is when you've got a huge company and you're downsizing, it's difficult to move. And I think all the big OTAs have felt that the the culture, the people around you, when people are disappearing every day, getting let go, for you to, to wake up the next morning and really try and drive something forward, I, I don't know how you do that. So uh, it's difficult to keep people motivated when, when everything's moving in the wrong direction. Well, this show, when we do future episodes, hopefully we'll get some guests in. I'm quite keen to get guests in who don't come from our part of the travel industry because I'm pretty sure every single person in the tour operating industry and the experience industry I've realized by now, or if they haven't, they've got their eyes shut and their, their ears closed, that we are totally dependent on the airlines and to a lesser extent, the hotels and the accommodation industry. So we're in an industry that's all linked and we don't do well unless flights and hotels and accommodation do well. So I would be keen on the show in future episodes to get some people in from the hotel industry. They've been down this OTA journey and in many cases, decades before tours and activities, all the discussions we've had, they've had inside out, upside down. And I think it'd be really useful for the listeners if we can get some really smart hoteliers in both from the supply and the OTA side and, and also the flight side, because we've been demonstrated. We are so attached to these industries that if they ain't working, we are not working. Yeah, let's use codependencies. I know the hotels like to think that they're the the big boys on the block, because maybe they are financially, but they depend on the operators. And between what was a million operators operating products all over the world, we're doing the destination marketing. Yeah. And it's that destination marketing that's filling the hotels. So I know they appreciate that. I just think once the money comes into it, the hotels get the chunk of it. And 
tourism activities sort of gets left behind. I'm fully up for getting people from outside of our sector. I think there's such perspective from people from other sectors that they can kind of look from above and see what we can collectively do better or, or mistakes that they've made that we shouldn't follow. For years now, so as long as I've been in this industry, we've been trying to come up with a solution to work with hotels better, and we've never really nailed it. Again, that hotel partnership of retailing tours and activities has never really happened at scale. Obviously, it does happen all over the world. Each operator's got their own relationships with X number of hotels uh, in a small way, but it's never been automated, it's never been scaled, and it's never had a technology solution that's worked at any scale. But maybe as we come out of this and hotels are readdressing their, their business model and looking at how they're going to be more secure in the future, maybe now is the time where they can actually look at ancillary products that we supply and integrate them into their business models. One would hope, wouldn't it? But I think I can go one of two directions. It is a time for disruption, and let's now build it up properly. But also, everyone's been through so much pain that do the, do the hotels just go back to their core and yeah. only focus on hotel on selling rooms because everyone just needs to survive and, and grow out of this thing. So I think in some ways it gets better, and in a lot of ways it might get worse for a couple of years as people don't have the resources. I mean, trying to get dev resources from any company right now is virtually impossible. The dash for cash that we're going to have, because there's a lot of media, there's a lot of people talking to rebuild back sustainably, which a lot of the stuff I'm aligned with, try to do with my own business. But the hard reality is, once we open up, every single business is going to be dashing for cash. It's a dash for cash. We need cash back in, sort balance sheets out, again, get businesses operating again profitably. So a lot of the things that people think are going to change in the travel industry because of this experience, it may take a lot of years before people have actually got the resources to try and make these things happen. Are you offering cash to people, Peter? Is this no? Is this where I'm, this is going? I'm Scottish. I've never offered cash to anyone in my life. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always have a negotiation before we hand anything over called cash. So I probably should have asked you this before we uh, started the recording here, but who have you approached so far that wants to come and chat with you on the travel industry mavericks? I've got a yes from Chris Newlands, who, uh, disclosure, I'm an advisor to his company, he, again, outside the industry, but attached to the industry. Spelfi is the company. He's using Airbus satellites all around the world to take selfies of people at events. Obviously, the whole business was wiped up. The target customer was huge events, the Olympics, F1, NFL football, Premier League football, huge events, people in destination at these events, and they're getting selfies from space downloaded onto their phone. They did the inauguration of the, the new president in uh, the USA last week. So we're getting him on to see how he coped with this whole model being destroyed as a startup. He's a funded startup, but not a VC-funded startup. It's a startup with private funding behind it. And just to see, because that, that's aligned with the industry, because it is targeting travelers in destination at events. So we're aligned with the in industry. Also getting the CEO of a company in Pakistan on, because I'm a big believer, again, with this show that Christian and myself are doing, to try and reach out to some of the developing regions of the world, Central Asia, Africa, because there's a lot of tech development going on in these countries. There's a lot of business models going on that are actually going to exceed the growth that we are going to get in Europe or get in the USA by a significant margin. I mean, when Africa comes online fully digitalized, the growth is going to be eye-watering. 
So I think it'd be really interesting to get some people in from these destinations that people don't normally think of. And when they do think of they think developing and, oh, they don't know how to do this. But I think people will be surprised of what's going on and the scale of what's going on. But we discussed it earlier. These guys are focusing on their core. They're building really good, clever businesses with the core of the region that they understand. They have global ambitions, but they ain't going to go out to the global world until they've really nailed their core. And at the end of the day, some of the customer numbers and some of the population number in some of these destinations, I mean, Pakistan's got 245 million people alone just in the country, and that's registered people. So you could probably say that's probably going to 300 million in one country. I think that's an interesting angle, the development. I'm always conscious when I when I write or speak about the industry in general that I speak from the privilege of you know being from the UK, based in San Francisco. I, I generally talk about the North American market and a little bit about European market. And I think that's a lot of us, right, that are based here. We, we think that is the market. And even with this year, when, when I talk about the recovery, I'm, I'm optimistic. I am optimistic for 21 for USA and, and Canada. and and I think Europe, I'm not optimistic for Asia and Africa for 2021. So I think it'd be good to get people from other parts of the world to give us that perspective so that that conversation isn't always about, you know, the, the West. Um, for a lot of reasons, that's a good perspective. But I think they're going to they're also need the help. They need some exposure and, yeah. and recognition of what they're achieving because what they're achieving with harder situations than what we've got is amazing. And it's as simple as that. What they're, yeah. what they're managing to achieve is amazing. But also a, a goal of the show is different voices. Uh, okay, I'm going to be mavericky here and say, you know, it generally is the same people that we hear at all the events, and I want to hear different voices. And I asked some of our listeners, who do you want to hear on, on the Maverick show? And I got a list which I shared with you on. The thing that really shocked me was the low amount of females that were on that list of females in leadership roles in our industry, because I come across so many talented women that are doing great things in our industry, but very few in leadership roles. I think that's something we should, we should also tackle some of these issues and not because we want to check a box to be diverse, but it's like, wow, I was really surprised when I saw that list that there were so few women on it. Yeah. I don't know. I'd love to explore that. I really would. Is that just three, um, three medium age white men discuss it? Yeah. Well, no, absolutely. I'm talking about future episodes yeah. that when I got this list, I was just really surprised because I guess I've just never looked at it that way. The same thing when the whole BLM thing happened and I spoke to some operators about racism that they had encountered. It's I'm in the bubble. That's not part of my world. And that's what I'm hoping with this show, that we do explore some of these subjects that don't get discussed in enough detail. We want to speak to a diverse set of guests and we're right here welcoming anybody that wants to come on the show and discuss anything to do with our sector. What we don't want to do is have corporate sort of talking heads. I think a lot of times you, some of these conferences, you get the corporates that show up and they can't really say very much. So we don't really need to speak to the, to the PR department at X large corporation who's just going to give us their talking points. Agreed. I, I think we, we'd all prefer to get into sort of proper conversations and a bit more honest and open. Not honest is maybe a bad word, but a bit, a bit more open and discuss the real issues rather than just sort of read speeches out from PR departments. One of the reasons that the industry needs more female leaders in a huge number is, and this is me being Scottish and being money focused on being tight again, it's very simple. 
the buyers, the customers, are mostly female. And if they're not actually doing the transaction, they've influenced the male who is doing the transaction. So I, I study this in my own business when I look at the, the split down of the, the customers we get coming through our own business. We're a majority male customer business from a point of doing, actually turning up and doing the experiences. But we're a majority female business from a purchase point of view. So they're purchasing on behalf of males and sending them to do the stuff or they're influencing the males to purchase. And I've, I've looked at other in the, uh, businesses that I've been consulting on and they're the same. They think the business is majority male, but when you look at who's doing the purchase, it's majority female. Therefore, who knows what triggers a female person best to buy? Well, it's not me. It's another female. True. Well, lots of uh, exciting topics to, to dig into in future episodes. And I would also say to our listeners, you know, you've got ideas of guests that you want to hear Christian and Peter talk with, then then email us, shane at tourpreneur.com or hit us all up on social and uh, we're all ears. We want to make this an inclusive show. And I guess the goal really is that we all listen to the show and when we walk away from listening to it or watching it, that it just gives us something to think about. That's what I'm looking for. We are looking for innovation as well. I know everybody's dashing for cash to get back to where, but anybody who's an innovator, anybody who's a bit wild out there and coming up with some technology that looks a bit crazy in the short term, and I was sitting, it was a Christian that pointed me in the, the way of stuff. So I've spent about three hours today on drones and not drones taking photographs. And we've been doing that for years. I've had drones falling rafts down rivers and all of that for years. So not that stuff. But what you can do with drones going forward in tourism is when you actually sit down and think about it, it's fantastic. And, and that stuff's coming. That stuff's live now. There's a guy in Ireland can, delivering stuff from Tesco's to people's houses with drones, delivering prescriptions from the chemists with a, not piloted drones, autonomous drones. So that stuff's going to hit the travel industry as well. And it's these slightly crazy people who see things that the rest of us don't see. I think they make fantastic guests. Definitely. We should get him on the on the show because he came from travel. He was part of Car Trawler. And he's also a developer and he's also quite entertaining. And he's Irish. So then we'd have an Englishman, a Scotsman, and a Welshman, and an Irishman, which would sort of make up the... That would be lots of jokes. And we'd all have to turn up with different whiskeys. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Marvellous. Well, my whiskey would be the best one, obviously, but the guy from Ireland may, may have different... different so you'd answers. be drinking some Japanese whiskey then, Peter? <laughs> Japanese whiskey. I'm going to Japan in September, if I can. I've, if I, I have can. Do you know, I'm going to Japan in September. I've tried some Japanese whiskey and it was phenomenal. I was pretty That's impressed. Good. I was impressed. Let me say that. There's, there is a bar in the Cairngorms about 110 miles from where I'm at the moment run by a guy who moved from Japan to Scotland just to run a whiskey bar. So he runs this remote pub just full of oh, Scottish whiskey, obviously, but he's also got the best selection of Japanese whiskey I've ever yeah, seen. Nice. Good stuff. Well, I'll wrap this one up. This was meant to be an intro. We're almost 40 minutes in, so that's fantastic. Uh, you can find all the resources and uh, links at our show notes, which you can find at travelindustrymavericks.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Cheers, Shane. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.